This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. We are live. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 157 of the Laravel News Podcast. My name is Jake Bennett, and my co-host over here with the white hat, with the Laravel logo also in white, so it's like it's invisible. Nice. Mr. Dorinda, how's it going, Hello. dude? Hello. How is it? I'm well. We, uh, we went and, and, and put up another Christmas tree today at my in-laws place. So, Did you really? Nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I had no part in it. One, one Christmas tree, four weeks too early is enough for me, so... Does it feel weird having like Christmas not be like a white Christmas thing? Probably not because it's all you know. But it's like it's not like that over there. It's like just getting into spring, like going to be like, you know, summer. nice, warm, yeah, beautiful the, weather, summer weather. And it's like, hey, Merry Christmas. Yeah, right. Yeah. I went for a Pretty run warm. this morning. I got up. I, I don't know. I'd have to do a conversion on that. It was it was a bit warm when I went this morning, but uh, I made it. I ran 4K. That was enough for me. Nice. Nice. Uh, let's see here. 31, 31 Celsius is to Fahrenheit. There it is. 87.8 degrees Fahrenheit. There you go. Oh, dang, dude. Yeah. So it's like blasting over there. Holy cow. The air conditioner on it. No no problems. No problems. It's toasty. It's a toasty one. Mm -hmm. So air conditioner. um, I'm interested because you guys don't have like clothes dryers like we have over here. So air conditioning, like you have a whole house air conditioning or you have like many splits like in each room? Nope. Whole, like whole how house. do you do it? Whole house. Whole house. Yep. So we have reverse okay. cycles. So it's hot in, hot in summer and cold in winter. Wait, wait, hold on. Yes. Right. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know like our seasons are reversed. Yes. I'm just saying like I was just curious if, no, you no, know, the, if you guys had. air conditioner is called a reverse cycle air conditioner. So it does both oh, okay. hot and cold. Oh, Oh, as nice. opposed to having like central heat separate to like an evaporative ah. air conditioning system or something like that. See, I knew there would be something different. Yeah, I just some, knew there would be. I was like, it's too have, easy. Some houses have like they'll have an evaporative air conditioner and then they'll have okay. like gas central heating or they'll have, you know, mm-hmm. we have. And things like that. But uh, yep. no, it's uh, fairly common, I think, here to have the, the reverse cycle. It's, it's just one. That's unit. pretty cool. It's one thing to I didn't know that was a thing. When, you know, yep. when it stops working, then you don't get either. And, and just one thing to replace as well. But for the most part, you can just replace the unit itself. Like a lot of the times, well, it depends on how old it is. Like my parents, when, when their air conditioner died after like 20 years, 30 years or whatever it was, they had to replace the whole kit and caboodle because the, yep. the ducting was all perished and, and whatever else. Whereas, mm. oh, the, seriously. And, and like sometimes I, because they had, evaporative before and there was no like they had an oil heater that's how old their house was okay they sure. um when they replaced it they had you had to get bigger ducts um and bigger mm, piping and all that interesting kind of stuff put in so um, that sounds like a blast done. but um you know get it done, yeah that get sounds it done. that sounds like a lot of fun mm. yeah getting all the ducts redone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sounds like a problem that you pay to go away <laughs> yep Yep, not like me. I like to I like to mess things up on my own first before I have somebody yeah. else come do it. That's right. You like to case in point. Exactly. Case in point, I bought one of those kits that you use to fix a broken screen on an iPad because my daughter recently, not recently, 
a while ago, thought it would be a good idea to bite the corner of the iPad. I don't know what possessed her, but she thought that, hey, this sounds like a, this looks like a good thing. Why don't I just bite the corner of this thing? Like snap the thing, like shatter the screen. Okay. We've been using this shattered iPad for like, you know, a year and a half. Yeah. And so I'm like, you know what? These, uh, I fix it like, you know, um, what do they even call it? It's not just the screen, the digitizer. It's mm-hmm. on, it's on sale uh, uh, for like Black Friday. So I've, I've wanted, I'll try it. I'll give it a shot. So I'm like, how hard can it be? <laughs> yeah. So you've <laughs> Do you want to know how hard now, it can be? <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Okay. I actually started the try. I started the process today. I was in about like 10 minutes and I'm like, you know, yeah, I'm just so not was, sure. Yeah, it's easy in pictures hard. when it's someone else doing it, but when it's your turn. It's, oh, I know. I did it once with I, like an iPhone 4 and I could never get the okay. phone back together again. So it's, uh, oh, gosh. you know. That's why I get Apple Care now. So I get Apple Care and mm-hmm. then, oh, you know, dings and scratches and whatever. And just before I'm due for a new one, I'll go and like get the screen replaced and whatever else. And they don't actually replace the screen. They will give you a whole refurb iPhone. Yeah, right. Exactly. And so you get this, you know, brand new iPhone and then you can yep, just, yep. you know, sell that on. The problem is they take your original packaging with it. So you like when, if, when mm, you go to sell it, it comes with the refurb packaging that you get. Uh-huh. Um, which is not the yeah, same as that a, makes sense. a new iPhone, but other than that, you know, it's it's effectively a brand new phone that you can sell for basically top price, I guess. Right, and then put it. Yeah, that makes sense because we don't we don't Absolutely. have like the trader. Oh, I think we've got the like trade in program, but I think in the US you've got like the rental program or whatever. Where you can just get a new phone every twelve months or whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. Like you kind of yeah, you is you buy the phone. Uh, they set you up basically on a payment plan. Essentially, yeah. there's like, yeah, pay $30 a month sort of deal, right? Until yeah. you pay it off and then whatever. I was going to say real quick, sorry, everybody who's listening. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you like this sort of pre-show banter or not, but I've got one more thing to say before we jump in. Apologies. I heard Apple is going to be doing this sort of like their own fix-it deal where like this right to repair stuff, like they're going to be selling their own repair kits with the apple tools that they use in order to do this stuff yeah Mm -hmm. so they can sell you the repair kit for 300 dollars, and then you stuff it up and then you have to go and buy a new iphone anyway why should they cut anyone else into this deal when they can make all of the money both for the repair and Uh, you're not wrong you're absolutely not wrong because they're like all the disclaimers would be like you know we don't guarantee anything on this yep oh yeah exactly yep hey you want to repair it yourself no problem we'll send you a 300 repair kit you can Mm -hmm. fix it yourself yeah there you go I actually am excited about it, though. I think it's a cool idea. I it's think cool I idea. just like the idea that they're willing to sell you that stuff and be like, hey, you want to screw it up on your own? Go for it. I don't think they're willing. America. Kind of have freedom. Um, but I, I think, don't know. Like, I think I, what, that, what yeah. that opens the avenue for is less of the like cheap replacement stuff. Like my, Ray, I think Ray with her last phone, she took it into one of those, like we've got these places in the shopping centers that you can take your phone and sure. they, they swap yep. it out with like, you know, $100 version of like the thing that they import from china or whatever yes Mm -hmm. and like you can tell it's not the same thing like the screen is not quite as good as what it was for for a genuine part um so you know i think what this opens the avenue for is those repair places to get their hands on genuine parts and like that'll that'll make that available but it's not going to really be any cheaper for for people that are taking it to those kinds of places anyway you know they'll they'll get maybe more expensive but those yeah they'll be paying more for the privilege i guess Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's interesting. I, I think the idea is cool. So mm-hmm. anyway, folks, shall we move on? I Let's think we should. It. We should probably move on. Okay. Well, thanks, Mr. Dorinda, for putting the notes together before I even got on here. 
I had a little bite of the forbidden fruit, if you will. Um, Michael knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> took a damn nap. I took a quick nap at like at like 9:30. I was upstairs and I was like, you know, I'm just gonna close my eyes real quick. <laughs> and at 10:05, uh, you know, my wife's like, Jake, Jake, you have a podcast. I'm like, oh, that's right. I'll be, uh, you know. At least one of you on the board. Oh, maybe boy. next. Maybe next Ex- year we'll just get oh, we'll just get Laura to do the podcast for you so that you can sleep instead. I, I think this is a great idea. I think she would want she she wouldn't mind you know, you know she wouldn't mind helping out a little bit. So she's yeah you're right though when you said like at least someone's on top of it that is <laughs> yeah for sure that is my wife and my wife would be a mess if it wasn't for her she keeps everything in order for me thank you Laura <laughs> okay here we go dude releases Laravel eight dot seven four let me bring this up here why is my browser not working here it goes okay why are you figuring I brought out it up browser? twice we're gonna talk go about ahead. our friends Honey Badger. Yes. They're on board. Let's this is, by the way, the last episode for the year. So they're in board, on board the last episode. And I think they've got us for the, we've got them for the first quarter next year, but we're going to be talking about something different next year. It's not going to be. Mm-hmm. The new product. It's a new product. So we're not going to be talking about error tracking, bug tracking, mm-hmm. et cetera, anymore next year. But this year, this, this episode, this is the last one. We'll talk about them later in yep. the show, our friends at Honeybug. Because they're so freaking innovative, folks. You're going to get more than one product that we're going to mm-hmm. talk about. So bug tracking plus the shiny new stuff that's going to be coming out next year. You heard it here first. It's going to be come great. Back. Come back. Okay, everybody. Come back. The Level team released 8.74 with a check for debug mode and event fake accept method. Uh, MySQL full text index support and migrations and the latest changes in the 8.x branch. This is a good one, by the way, everybody. All right. So Joshen Jokin Sengir. I'm gonna I'm gonna slaughter that pronunciation, but <laughs> Joshen Sengir contributed a dash dash accept parameter, which accepts a list of class names of the models to be excluded from pruning. Here's a programmatic example from the pull request. So, and this model prune method, which was introduced not too long ago, you can now call schedule command model prune. And then as an argument, you can pass in here, dash dash exclude. And then you can pass in the names of the classes that should be excluded from that command. Okay. Why would you use this? Well, Let's say that, oh man, and I honestly am trying to figure out why you would use so because the reason why is the, the whole point of this this prune, yeah, this whole mo- the whole the whole point of this model prune is so that each uh, model that you have, like uh, Titan used to have something called quickstand, which quicksand which would handle like you know deleting old soft deleted records, or maybe there's particular things like, hey, we have these phone records that we keep track of, we only need to keep track of them for seven days, so anything that's older than seven days, go ahead and take take those off. And previously, you had to kind of set this up yourself. So what Laravel did is it introduced this prunable uh, trait that you can add on, or maybe it's, I can't remember if it's an interface. I can't remember exactly exactly how it works. But then you have this ability to add a prunable uh, method onto a model. And then when you call model prune, it will just prune all of them, which is great. In this case, though, you're saying, except for these two. Here's the reason why I'm struggling, Michael, why you would not want to do this. You get to control what things get pruned, right? Mm-hmm. So you, I heard you say like, oh, you would do it so that you could do some of these daily mm-hmm. and some of them only once a week. But couldn't you just build in like, hey, only do these ones like, you know, could you could you control that somehow in the method itself? Maybe I'm just not thinking about it right. Well, I suppose you could do opt in versus opt out. 
my yeah. keyboard stopped working, so I couldn't tell you. I can't I can't go and look it oh, up. Oh, no worries. <laughs> no worries. We'll figure it out some other time. Anyway, folks, if you, if you did want to do that, that's the only thing I can think about for that one is like if you had models that you wanted to be pruned on a different schedule than all the rest of them, that's why you'd use this exclude tag. Uh, and actually, it says exclude in the example and accept in the blog post. Which one is it? We're going to have to find out. Hold on. It's accept. Hold on. Dash dash accept is the correct one. And the dash dash exclude from the code sample mm-hmm. in the blog post is the yeah. wrong one. I think I think by default, okay. if you don't pass it any models, it will do all of them. So you've got um, dash dash models. Yes, you're correct. Specify the models that you do want to. So dash dash accept would be the inverse okay. of that. So you know, on Tuesdays gotcha. and Thursdays, you might want to delete some, and and on uh, you know Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you might want to delete some different models for whatever reason. Sure. Why not? Why not? Absolutely. Okay. Took way too long on that one. Sorry, everybody. Joel Mellon uh, contributed a has debug mode enabled method to determine if the application is running in debug mode. So if you have a uh, app underscore debug environment variable set to true or to false, that you can now check to see if it's true or false. So app colon colon has debug mode enabled will return true if that value is set to true and will return false if it's not. So there you go. Jeffrey and Genton contributed a fake accept method, which replaces the bound instance with a fake that fakes all events except for the given events. Uh, so you have a event colon colon fake that you can call with your tests. And what that will do is it'll say any events that are going to get fired, just swallow them. Don't actually fire those events. Just mm-hmm. fake them. Don't actually do the thing. And so what this fake accept does is it says uh, event fake except fake everything except for this particular class or this array of particular classes. Um, and you can have it uh, fake except a class, a string. So, you know, whatever. Uh, or you can reference it, uh, reference it as uh, the like string name of the event. So if you had like users.create or something like that, you could say, fake all of them except for users.create, right? So in your tests, this allows you to be a little bit more specific. So it gives you a scalpel instead of a sledgehammer, if you will, when you're trying to fake some of these events and say, don't fake all, don't fake, you know, all of them. Let me, let me get at one of these things. Uh, that's really actually pretty nice. I would have used that a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Amir Rami contributed a undot method to array and collection, which does the opposite of array dot. It can take a flattened array and convert it to a multi-dimensional array based on dotted keys. So if you have a uh, set of values stored inside of an array or inside of a collection, and you have something like user.name, user.occupation as the keys, the string of user.name is stored as the key, you can say array colon colon undot, pass that array in there, and then it will basically restructure it back into a multi-dimensional array using those dots in the strings as where it should break those up into multi-dimensional pieces. Okay, a couple more here. NetPoke contributed a reverse method to the string and stringable classes, which reverses a string, includes support for multi-byte strings, which I'm surprised we didn't have that already, actually. Um, Full text index for MySQL. So Taylor talked about this on Twitter a little bit. He contributed the ability to create full text indexes in migrations for MySQL, which may be expanded into Postgres in the future. Um, so that's pretty cool. So now you can do that. Uh, he was looking for a little bit. He's like, do we already, is there just a driver for this using one of the other existing ones? Mm-hmm. Uh, but apparently there was not, or 
even if there was, he just wanted to make it a native thing right inside your migrations. So ability to create full text indexes and migrations only for MySQL so far, uh, but maybe more in the future. All right, that's all of them. That's a good, that's a good solid good update there, man. That's meaty. a lot of, lot of good stuff there. Yeah, meaty indeed. All right, my friend, up to you. Laravel 8.7.5 was released with on-demand gate authorization, a full text index implementation for Postgres and the ability to filter non-null array values. So first <laughs> up is. here we have from Italo was the contribution of an on-demand gate authorization. The change will allow the gate to permit or forbid a procedure by condition instead of using the gate to register one-time ability or using verbose checks. Before, we would have to mm-hmm. do a model lookup and then check and then throw in uh, an exception. You can now uh, gate colon colon forbid and call a method directly. And if that was to return true or false, so that will return a Boolean value, then you can automatically handle the uh, the authorization exception being thrown using either the forbid or permit. So if the, you know, if if you're using forbid and that returns, uh, I guess, if forbid, if true, then you return an exception if that returns true. Um, And the permit is obviously the inverse of that. So if that returns true, then, you know, and this is all about making readable methods, I suppose, is where I'm, where I'm trying to go with this. Yep. So, you know, the gate forbids something if you're over quota or the gate permits something if you're under quota, you know, just, just making things readable from, from left to right and which, whichever way you want to go is entirely up to you. Tobias Petrie contributed Postgres support for full text search. So this was, you know, back, back to what you just spoke about in 8.74, uh, that it yep. might come in a future release. So it's, it's now there. Currently, this only supports a single column. Uh, there's some commentary around this feature and implementation details from Tobias, so you can check that out. We have links to that in the show notes for you. At Saya contributed an array where not null method, which filters out null values from a, an array. Um, so previously, I think we didn't have the method at all. We don't, there was no way of like checking if if the value was like not set in a given array. Uh, so this would just filter out. If you were to do array filter, anything that evaluated mm-hmm. falsy would, would be stripped out. Right, so like, right. So zero so or zero false or empty or false, array. Yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah. Strings or anything like that. Whereas we're not null will explicitly filter based on the, a, a null value as opposed to something that is, you know, falsy, which filter did. And lastly, Chris Morell contributed scheduler integration tests, including coverage for scheduled callbacks and scheduled commands. So if you want to learn more about that one, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. And of course, all of the changes... Uh, additions and fixes will be linked in the show notes. Another really good one here. Man, I feel like, you know, not that it's only ever been just like, all right, bug fixes, but like, you know, sometimes they've been a little bit thinner. Just, yeah, I mean, it's just, man, everybody's killing it. So many good things. And it's like, you think after a a period of time, like what else are they going to put into this framework? But Mm -hmm. it's somebody's always found something like, I use this. It's like, oh, okay. The non-null values thing, that makes sense. Let's do that. Um, so yeah, It'd be interesting to see here. what happens come Laravel nine. Like, what 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 is left? What is left to bring in? Right. Other than deprecations yep. and generics. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. That is mm. true. It'll be interesting. Uh, I'm sure they will find some amazing stuff. Hey, uh, we have also got in here uh, the release of the Filament Tall Stack Admin Panel version two. So uh, if you've not heard of this before, Filament is a tall stack admin panel, and now it has been released with version two, and it has a completely refreshed UI, global search, a settings page, easy dashboard statistics, and more. So we covered the release of version one earlier this year, 
And so really happy to see that this is continuing into a, a brand new version. Uh, it's got a collection of tools for building out beautiful tall stack dashboards designed for humans. You can build pages and date engaging dashboards and modules and charts and it has plugins and all that fun stuff. Uh, so you can check this out and it is free. They have an upgrade guide getting up from 1.x to 2 and it has um, requirements for PHP 8.0, Laravel 8.0 and Livewire 2.0 or greater. Uh, so for those of you looking for an upgrade to your existing filament panel, go ahead and check this out. Or for those of you who have not yet tried it but are looking for uh, something like that, that's pretty cool. Check that out. The other one I would uh, suggest if you've not tried any of these, I would suggest getting giving uh, Nova a shot as well, Laravel Nova, one of my favorite admin panels for sure. So check that one out. Okay, let's move on to the news. What do we got? Oh, geez, this is a big announcement here. First up, Tailwind CS, CSS version 3 has now been released. Dang. Uh, it is yes. the most significant release of the framework yet. The major version brings impressive performance games, workflow improvements, and a massive list of features made possible by the Tailwind Labs team. Um, they they put out a release video, which I'm not going to explain to you, but it's done really cool. Well. Simon yeah. Brashley Otis put yeah, that one together. Very, very good. But the most prominent features mentioned on the CSS, uh, on the Tailwind, sorry, Tailwind CSS version 3 release announcement include a stable just-in-time engine. So this was a mode that you could turn on and off in mm -hmm. version 2. Mm -hmm. So in version 3, it is the default build uh, build mode. Every color is available out of the box. There now is support for colored box shadows, a scroll snap API, multi-column layouts, native form control styling, print modifiers, modern aspect ratio API, fancy underline styles, right to left and left to right modifiers, portrait and landscape modifiers, arbitrary properties, the play CDN, and a whole bunch more. And on top of all of that, like that wasn't enough work for the team, the Tailwind documentation is completely brand new, brand fresh, new. thoughtful examples and everything you need to start mastering. Um, and there's an in-depth look at what's new in Tailwind version 3 by Simon Brashley-Otis that will get you up to speed on all the new features. Uh, congratulations to the team. I spoke to Adam yesterday and I said, you, you just, you're just done for the year now, right? You just, he's, yeah, just have a break. Enjoy the next few weeks off. Seriously. And, and recharge. Seriously. Um, yeah. But, you know, having all of these things, because it's all configuration-based and because the JIT mode is by default now, the Tailwind team doesn't have to sort of pick and choose what to enable out of the box because, yep, you know, you exactly. don't want to have these big bloated, you know, multi-megabyte CSS files because you're only ever going to have compiled into your CSS that which you're using in your application. So basically, I can just turn everything on and and you can figure out, you know, or, or the, the JIT engine will figure out what needs to stay and what needs to go as part of the compilation step and and it's just it works really well um all of the tooling that, that's available yep. for, for vs code and php storm and 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 vim and, and all of that kind of stuff is is really making a a, a great uh, css authoring experience so um it's a very simple upgrade i i used the laravel shift to do the the v3 upgrade a few weeks ago um i only changed like three things four things out of the the whole project that i ran that on so it's it's a major release, but it's not a huge pain to to change things, especially being sort of keeping up to date through version two anyway. So, congratulations and uh, onwards and upwards. Be interesting to see what they kick out next as as next year rolls are you, around. Are you still using uh, Laravel Mix to compile all your stuff in yeah. in the project you upgraded in? Yeah, I mean, I probably don't need to to be honest because I'm not the the project that I upgraded in is has no JavaScript in it whatsoever. Um, so I, that's the only catch. Yeah. 
you know, if you if you're using, you know, if you're in a Laravel application and you've got some Vue or some React or whatever, and you're doing CSS, then you may as well just keep using Mix. But if you're, um, you know, if you if you're only building CSS, then you know, if you're using um, plain Blade, if you're using some Alpine yeah. sprinkles, if you're exactly, um, you know, if you're just building uh, CSS, and nothing else, then there's no reason why you couldn't just use the the Tailwind CLI to to build your your uh, CSS assets. I agree. Yeah, and it's really freaking fast too, so that helps a lot. Yeah, I, that's kind of something I was looking at as well. I was like, oh, man, should I just switch over to using this all completely, just the Tailwind stuff? I think I might. So we'll see. We shall see. Hmm. Uh, congrats, though. That's, I mean, it's an insane amount of features, and uh, it's it's crazy how fast this team has been able to move with only like a seven-person team, I think, is it. I mean, they are getting an insane amount of work done with uh, just a small team. And so, you know, GitHub is tweeting about it now, like, oh, my gosh, look at yeah, all this Netflix cool stuff. Using, and you know, I think Netlify is using yeah. it as well. So. I mean, it's, it's just around. awesome the success that they've seen just because of all this really, really good work and really good organization as well. I mean, that's, that's the other part of it too, is, um, I know Adam works really hard to keep their team really organized and, uh, you know, focused. So pretty cool. And it helps to work with a bunch of rock stars as well. So that's pretty cool. Okay. Holiday giveaway, Laravel holiday giveaway. Once again, this year, uh, and for the past five years, this has been going on, but once again, this year, uh, Yaz Jalad is running a giveaway to give back to our incredible our incredible community around the holidays. So there's a lot of amazing uh, people and uh, groups that are supporting this effort. Uh, but we have a bunch of giveaways all hinged around different community members and companies that have provided prizes to give away. So of course, it wouldn't be possible with all those uh, donors. And this year, uh, actually, I guess last year, for example, we received over $20,000 in prizes, products, and services, courses, and books. And this year, the Laravel giveaway is giving a mixture of prizes provided by our sponsors as well as straight-up cash to give the winners mm-hmm. a shopping spree to purchase anything they choose. In total, there's 28 different $100 U.S. cash gift cards and another $28.50 U.S. cash gift prize, uh, gift cards. Excuse me. Uh, 14 of each will be given daily via the lottery campaign, and another 14 will be given away on Twitter. So make sure following uh, you're following Laravel giveaway there. Here are some of the sponsors. Actually, I'm not going to read them all because there's quite a few. So if you'd like to see the list, feel free to go in there. But basically, the way that it's working this year is it's, it's a lottery. Uh, you get a bunch of different numbers, numbers 1 through 45. Uh, that represent a guess as to what the random number selected will be. So if you match all six digits, the one you pick against the ones chosen at random uh, at the time of the draw, you will win big. So there's a couple different rules here. I'm not going to go through all of them. Again, there's there's quite a few, but uh, uh, yeah, as put it to this, and I, I'm really excited. I'm definitely playing every day that I remember to. I need to put it on my reminders because like some days I get to the end of the day, like, dang it, I forgot to enter. Um, but they always do really, he Yaz always does a really great job on that. So uh, feel free to participate, join in that and uh, shout out Yaz, say thanks. If you get a chance, it'd be great. Yeah, it's uh, not only that, in, in years gone by with the giveaway, people have donated prizes. Um, you know, they've given away courses and books and, and you know, SaaS subscriptions and things like that. This year, money money has been donated. And then Yaz has gone and he's purchased the things. So, you know, the creators are being rewarded for the stuff that they're that they're putting up and making available. Oh, nice. And, you know, it it's it's spreading the love around. And then obviously the people that win the prizes are 
are winning the prizes. So the the grand prize and, and the fact that he's got his hands on a PlayStation 5 uh, is, is pretty cool. So Yaz does this year after year um, selflessly and for, for no reason than to give back to the community and we thank him for it so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. What else have we got today? We're on to you the know what we got. Laramore you know what we got. View... Oh, I'm not even reading my own notes. No, you know. Badger. You know. Indeed, the badger. Badger, badger, mushroom. Mushroom? Was that badger mushroom? You, know? you don't know the... I, oh. I do not know badger mushroom. Wow. Is this the honey badger like, honey badger, don't give a... Is that, no, is that no, the no, thing? No. Oh, wow. Oh. I'll have to put that in the show notes for you to find later. But, badger uh, mushroom? Oh, no. I missed. This is disappointing. I missed the this meme. This is almost as disappointing as finding oh, so errors sorry. in your code. Even code that was written by an amazing developer such as yourself. And when those errors happen, it's nice to know that honey badger has your back. Honey Badger makes you a DevOps hero by combining error, uptime, and check-in monitoring into a single, easy-to-use platform. They'll send you alerts in real time with all the context needed to see what's causing the error and where it's hiding so you can quickly fix it and get on with your day. The included uptime and cron monitoring also lets you know when your external services are having issues or your background jobs go missing or silently fail. If you go to honeybadger.io, you will discover how Star, Josh, and Ben created a 100% bootstrap monitoring solution, which is important. Because by self-funding, it means they only answer to you, the developer, rather than venture capital overlords, and gives them the freedom to build new products and tools that will make your lives easier, which we'll tell you about next year. In the meantime, check Indeed. out honeybadger.io. Get yourself a free trial, 14 days, 15 days, whatever it is. Uh, very generous free tier. And make sure that you catch any and all errors that come your way, and they will come your way. Thanks, Honey Badger. They always do. They always do. Thanks, Honey Badger. Hey, uh, this first package is actually one that I think you might end up using. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, Laravel View I18N, which stands for internationalization. And Michael has explained before the way that this works is internationalization starts with the I, ends with an N, and then there's 18 letters in between I and N. So I18N stands for internationalization. So Laravel View Internationalization is a package by Francisco Madeira. And I was just watching Elf the other day. Have you ever watched Elf? The movie? No, never. Like the mm-hmm. Christmas movie? No, mm-hmm. Yes, you have. No. Stop it. No, never. That's a That's lie. Not, I'm not even joking. I cannot stand Will Ferrell. What? No. What is wrong? Okay, so to be fair, I'm, I, I kind of get that. Like, Will Ferrell drives me nuts in some of the other things. I'm with you on that. Like, I won't watch a lot of his stuff. But, and I'm sorry for all of you Will Ferrell fans, Will Ferrell fans out there, but Elf is one of those things you got to add to the list. Like, it's really good. It's really, yeah. really good. I bet you Eli would love it. He would love it. That's, you know, that's something to worry. I think he's probably a bit young for that. Um, but um, No, he's not. Dude, yeah, it's a no, great movie. You need no. to watch it. Mm-mm. Back me up, people. Somebody somebody way. hit up Santa Michael Claus. on Twitter and be like, Michael, you're missing out. Yeah, I'm not missing anything. No, it's really good. Anyway, on that, uh, Will Ferrell, who is Buddy the Elf, says... Francisco, Francisco, like over and over because he likes how it sounds. It's a fun word to say. Anyway, sorry, Francisco. Francisco Madeira um, made this package that allows you to connect. Here it is, Michael. This is why you need it. Allows you to connect your Laravel translation files with your view projects. Ooh, interesting. So this is something me and Michael were just talking about the other day and sort of how we do this on some of the stuff. And it, 
is we basically just have a partial that we load into the page and then provide some data to the front end using like window.app or window dot, you know, whatever namespace I want to put it in. And then I just chuck a bunch of stuff in there. And then the view project uh, can just grab all that stuff off the window object if it's available, right? I'm assuming this some does something similar. Uh, so what this does is it, I believe, will load up up your localization stuff like your en.json from out of your lang file or any of the other ones that you have. And then it allows you to use the same sort of logic as the built-in localization features in Laravel. So mm -hmm. you can put in all these different things like uh, pluralizations, I believe, and things like that. And so it has some nice uh, affordances in the API that allow you to do that but then also allows you to change the locale at runtime via the, via the load language async function, and that will pull down the different lang file and translate everything, swap everything like real time, which is pretty cool. So instead of loading all of them in all at once, it just pulls down the existing, it just pulls down the lang file that I think corresponds with whatever sort of uh, language is, is being used, and then you can swap it out at runtime if you want while, while they're on the page, and it'll switch it out for you. Hmm. Pretty neat. Pretty neat stuff there. Neato. So nice job, Cisco. Here to go. And next up, we have the ability to ban eloquent models with the Laravel ban package. This is a package that simplifies blocking and banning of eloquent models. And using this package, you can make any model bannable in minutes. The use case for this package goes beyond a user model where you can add the concept of a ban to any eloquent model. And the main features of the package include the model can have many bans. Remove bans are kept in history as self-deleted records. Most parts of the logic is handled by the ban service. There is a middleware to prevent ban users from accessing routes that they shouldn't. Um, events mm, firing on models, the, both the ban and unban model um, event, is designed to work with Laravel Eloquent models. It has Laravel Nova support, and it uses nice. contracts to keep high customization capabilities and traits to get the functionality out of the box. Uh, so the package also provides nice conveniences, as I said, like middleware events, scopes, and auto-applying of scopes to models. There is an example here, which has some lovely methods like ban and unban and uh, expiring bans, checks for is banned and is not banned, and whether it's a temporary ban. So you can learn more about the package and get full installation instructions and view the source code on GitHub. We'll have links to all of that good stuff in the show notes. That's pretty awesome. Who wrote this? Because I mean, this is like comprehensive. This like somebody is. actually had a real, real use case for this deal. Mm. You know, they were having Cyber to uh, ban users on a on a forum or something, you know, because they mm. were using naughty language or something. Who knows? CyberCog is a social uh, unity of enthusiasts developing best solutions in the field of product and software development is their passion. There you go. Anton Komarev is the dude who, who put this one together. Mm -hmm. Anton, this looks awesome. And um, I don't know, maybe it's for like Discord or something. I don't know. I don't know. It looks really cool, though. Very, very nice job. And like I said, comprehensive is the best mm -hmm. word that comes to mind mm -hmm. to describe this one. It just looks really good. Like the temporary ban stuff, that's pretty cool. Like it's not a full-on ban and then you have to man manually remove it. It's like, no, mm -hmm. you have temporary bans and like we can keep track of like all those bans and when they're expired and blah, blah, blah. Pretty nice. Good job. Okay. I read this tutorial that we're talking about here a couple times already. Um, and I'm interested to see how many other people would find this useful. So this is from our good buddy, Mr. Chris Fadao, the servers for hackers guy. Anyway, here's what he's talking about. Managing secrets in Laravel with AWS Parameter Store. So this is a whole 
uh, tutorial here. So I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm trying to skim over the high points here. So secrets are values you don't want publicly exposed. You typically keep these in a .env file. Sometimes they're private keys. Sometimes they're generated for Laravel Passport, or it's something that you grabbed from AWS, whatever. And how you manage these depends on your deployment process. Forge allows you to keep these uh, directly on the server and load them in. You might save them in S3 bucket and download them during deployment. I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't either. But what's another way to do this? Uh, AWS Parameter Store is a way that you can store these secrets. And so it will encrypt them. It will keep them safe and secure for you so that nobody can just go grab them and take a look at them, right? They're not stored on the server. Well, I suppose they will be stores on the server sort of eventually-ish or in the cache, I suppose. That is interesting now that I think about that because you won't even necessarily maybe need to store them on the server. You could just cache them, throw them in the cache, and then, I don't know, interesting. Okay, I'm still thinking through it. But Parameter Store is a key value store, and it's part of the larger AWS System Manager, SSM service. It's got a bunch of features like encrypted values, storing large values, creating parameters, retrieving parameters, and it uses the IAM permissions that you probably already have built in if you're using having multiple users managing any of your stuff on AWS. So in this tutorial, it talks about storing encrypting values, store, uh, storing encrypted values, I'm sorry, storing large values, creating parameters, and then talks about how you can generate your env file on every deployment so if your secrets change dynamically here's where this got interesting to me if your secrets change dynamically outside of deployments you can use something more dynamic so instead of just retrieving your entire env file what you can do is you can actually set up specific parameters and then you can kind of concatenate the listing of them all together here's why this is useful to me every year i have to run an audit uh using this tool called Scout, what is it? Oh, dang it, Scout Suite. I think it's called Scout Suite. And what it does is you basically hook up either your Azure credentials or your AWS credentials or whatever. In my case, it's AWS. And it runs over all your stuff. It looks at all your IM stuff. It looks at all your SES, all your S3, all your EC2 instances. And it says, hmm, this doesn't look like it's configured correctly. Or, hmm, here are some things you should be concerned about. Like you haven't rotated your keys for any of these uh, S3 buckets ever like they've been mm. in existence for five years and you've never rotated the keys which maybe you don't care maybe you do but if you're using something like parameter store what you could actually do is you can have aws manage the rotation of those keys for you mm -hmm. and then it just you know you could basically redeploy your env each evening if you wanted to and then um it would auto update those keys for you which would be pretty freaking cool. And then you'd never have to worry about those keys not getting auto-rotated. You could just handle it this way. Uh, so that's kind of what I'm looking at it for. Uh, but this tutorial would get you far down the path of uh, starting with that, even though it doesn't exactly answer that specific question I'm talking about. Um, it has a bunch of other information about how you can utilize the parameter store in order to build your ENVs and keep everything nice, safe, secure, and encrypted away from prying eyes. Hmm. So thanks, Chris, for uh, putting that together. Great job, as always. He's a wonderful teacher. Thanks for having him as part of our community. Beautiful. All right, onward and upward. Now we're into the community area portion of our little podcast here. First up, we have a post from Freck van der Herten, which is a bash function to run tests for both PHP unit and test. So... Um, you may have, and, and Flake certainly has, used a, a bash alias for many years to quickly run tests inside of projects. So you might alias something like P to vendor bin PHP unit or, or T or something like that. And with the, with the alias in place, you can run 
just type the letter P and press enter. So it's a lot quicker, especially if you're running your tests quite frequently. You want to, you know, save keystrokes. It's it's a it's a micro optimization, but it's an optimization nonetheless. Um, and for the long time, everything was good, and then Pest came around, and now you know some of your projects have got PHP unit in them still, and some of them are using Pest, and so now you you sort of do you create a new alias for for Pest to to run that. But having separate commands and separate aliases is a bit cumbersome. So what Flake has done is converted that original P alias to a P function that gets sourced as part of his uh, environment. And then it will check to see, does vendor bin pest exist in the project? Then then call vendor bin pest. Otherwise, fall back to using uh, vendor bin PHP unit. So if that's something of interest to you, it's, it's something that I've got. I, I have a, a similar thing now, although I think if you just use artisan test, it will figure out if pest is there and mm, then use pest if pest yeah. is there and and fall back to PHP unit if it needs to. So you can just alias directly to PHP artisan um, if you wanted to as well. It depends on, you know, if you're using if you're using Laravel exclusively or if you're using uh, vanilla PHP as well. So check that one out. We'll have links to it in the show notes. Michael, I'm reading through this. So we, this next one was called TypeSafe, which is a cool package. I'm interested if you did you already read the blog post for why he put together the package? I did not read the blog post. I didn't get that far down. Okay, because I was, I was interested, like, why don't you just type hint things using like PHP type hints? But I suppose if you're working on an older project or, mm. or something like that, maybe, but this is has a minimum requirement of PHP 8.0. So I was curious exactly why we would use this instead of uh, whatever. Here's here's why he says in some just like high points, he says, Maybe we should talk about the package first. You talk about the package and talk about what it is real fast, and yeah. I will read the rest of the blog post real fast on why he made it. Yeah, so it's just a lightweight package that allows you to use PHP or that you can use in your PHP projects to ensure variable types. So in methods, in older code bases that don't have any sort of type safety or anything like that in there, you might have a whole bunch of conditionals inside of functions. You know, Make sure that your past arguments are integers, that you're not trying to add strings and numbers together and things like that. So this is a... Um, a package that allows you to essentially take a input parameter and then uh, check that against a specific type. And you can use that at the, the global um, helper that they provide. So it's the, the, the safe function. And so you can say safe, and then as the first parameter, the value that you're checking, and as the second parameter, the type that it should be. Um, so you know, type colon colon int or string or boolean or closure or object or whatever. Um, and then there's some advanced checks as well where you could do object checks you know make sure that this object is of a certain type or this is an array of integers or it's an array of um, associative array of strings and things like that and then you can also build your own custom checks and skip checks and all that kind of stuff so it's 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 a comprehensive package but as you said you are curious as to the why so maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that I'm looking at it and it basically says, um, you know, here are the top three headings. He has number one, incorrect method doc blocks, right? So these are things that tend to get left behind. Incorrect variable doc blocks. Then there are places where you don't have the ability to type in some of these values. Like if you're just retrieving something out of the session and you're assuming that it's going to be a particular type of thing, like, but you don't have any formal way to check that necessarily, you could do that now, right? You mm-hmm. could you could basically include that wherever you want. Uh, and then he says it's also helpful for for systems without any tests yet. So he basically says the you know the situation he's in is he he gets to work on a lot of great and exciting projects, but the majority of the time they're existing projects, and he's he's run on board to help add extra functionality, fix bugs, and maintain the systems, right? So mm-hmm. 
there are a lot of things that he's encountered that could have been better solved or could have been solved if they had better type safety. Uh, so as a proof of concept sort of deal, he put this type safe package together. And so, um, you know, if you're interested in reading a little bit more about like, when would I use this? Why, why is this useful for me? Um, you could read through the blog post for yourself, but those are some of the items where he says, and eh, these are some simple ways to improve the code base code base just by pulling this package in and, um, and you can actually skip the checks in production if you care to. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. You might you might want to run the checks in your testing or in your dev environment, um, but then say, hey, you know what? In production, I actually don't want you to throw an error if you if you get a bad if you get a bad mm -hmm. um, type. Just continue operating as normal. Um, yep. So it's a, it's a useful debugging tool as well. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Excellent. Yeah, lots, lots of, some really interesting reasons reasons in there actually. Better mm -hmm. code as documentation. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Okay, there's that one. All right, type semantic elements to improve your HTML. Same dude here. Yep. Ashley Allen. All right, uh, you can talk about this one too. And I'm actually going to let you talk through the rest of them. You know why? Because you put them on here. So you obviously have a reason for why you wanted to talk about them. So go for it. Hit it. Yeah. So the, the first one, as you said, using semantic elements to improve HTML. Uh, so this is talking about using semantic elements such as article and nav and footer instead of just using divs and spans everywhere to sort of provide a, a a hierarchy to your page using um you know a header for the header and an, and a nav element for the nav and then a main for your main section and and things like that and rather than just using div for everything so there's a whole bunch of um different semantic ele elements that are available and supported in html at the time of this recording um but one of the, the main benefits of using semantic html is that it improves the accessibility of your website um and you know if you if you're saying that you've got a a P tag with a class of heading one and a P tag of class of heading two, as opposed to using mm. a H1 and a H2, then, you know, the CSS classes apply changes to the appearance of the text, but it doesn't provide any hierarchy to, you know, people that are using screen readers and, and things like that. Um, so they, they're, they're looking for structure to the page. And when everything's a paragraph tag or everything's a div, there's kind of no structure to the page and it makes it difficult for screen readers to know how to make heads and tails of the page itself. But using the correct elements, you can also improve keyboard accessibility of the page. Um, so, you know, rather than using a div that looks like a button, using a button that has a uh, like an actual button attribute or a button element that has a class of button to sort of style it. Um, but this also improves SEO as well. Um, using, H uh, using the semantic tags helps with search engine optimization. So when the search engine crawls your website for indexing, it looks at the structure of the page and knows, you know, where are the headings? Um, where is the content? What are we actually wanting to rank your content based on um, and what types of keywords and things like that? So uh, definitely definitely check that out. It's a, it's a short article. It's like five minutes to read it, but it's got some good, good links to other resources as well. Um, 17 ways to get your website ready to win and things like that. So uh, definitely check that out. Ash, Ash puts together some, um, some good articles. From, um, I mean, there, he had a bit of a break because he runs a, a design agency, but when, when he has time to write, he usually writes some really thoughtful things and some informative things as well. And the the last thing that I had here was a conversation on the future of PHP. So we talked in the last episode about the PHP Foundation announcement. And so in this stream, um, Freight gets together with James Brooks and Christoph Rumpel and, and talk about what they think this means for the future of PHP. Uh, I haven't actually had a chance to, to watch it because I've had... Um, my youngest time with me sick most of this week, so no no free time to to get through it. Um, but it goes, I think it runs for about an hour or so, and uh, and they and they share their thoughts there. So it's a it's, it's it'll be interesting to see how this plays out 
um, you know, next year as they sort of find their feet and, and into the future. Um, and I think sustainability is, is the key of, you know, development for PHP. We saw with this log4j thing, um, the, the Java exploit that came out that, you know, there's multi-million, multi-billion dollar organizations using open source software, you know, basically everything from, you know, cars to, to websites to, I think there's even the Mars Rover is, you know, is, is using this log4j library in some way oh, gosh. In, in, <laughs> in its code that it's like exploitable and, and log4j is, you know, built by or, or maintained under the Apache Software Foundation. But like the people responsible for maintaining the open source software don't, don't make any money. And this is, this is kind of a, a, you know, sustainability problem for open source as a whole is that while MIT exists and things like that, you know, companies are just going to, to use the software, but they're never going to, you know, they never give back. They never, you know, it's, it's changing a bit now with GitHub sponsors and things like that, but it's still up to us as developers sure, to kind yeah. of convince our employers and the companies we work for and, and things like that to sort of contribute back to these places. Um, so, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how it pans out, but definitely check out the conversation. Uh, the, the, three, the three of those people, um, Frank and Christoph and James, always have some interesting and uh, intelligent things to, to say about um, the state of you know, PHP in, in general and, and the state of the community. So uh, check that out. Very nice. Well, hey, folks, thanks so much for hanging out with us. This was episode 157. If you'd like to find show notes for this episode, you can find them at podcast.laravel-news.com slash 157. If you'd like to reach out to us, hit us up on Twitter at Michael Dorinda at Jacob Bennett or at Laravel News. We always love to hear from you. And uh, if you liked the show, rate it up in your podcatcher of choice. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. Folks, we appreciate you. Thanks so much for spending another year with us in 2021. This is our last episode for the year, so we will see you on the other side in 2022. Thanks, folks. Until next time. Have a good break. We'll see you in the year. See ya. Bye.